And let's turn once again to the Gospel of John. I'm going to look at John chapter 10 this morning. Jesus is still in the midst of this group that has gathered together after the healing of the man born blind. Uh, They're still going back and forth as to uh, just who he is and where he comes from and a lot of uh, back and forth, a lot of belief, disbelief. He did these things on the Sabbath, so he he lost his uh, place with the Pharisees. Um, but other people have responded to the miracle. Uh, out of curiosity, others uh, believe. It always amazed me, though, uh, even after all these things, where were these voices when the crowd was yelling, crucify? Um, humans are funny people. Peer pressure and all these things that uh, plague us. But anyway, John chapter 10 beginning at verse 7. It says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I think the, well, first of all, the uh, talk about the Good Shepherd this morning, title of the message, The Good Shepherd. This verse, if you um, look at it, he's, he's talking about being the shepherd and he's talking about um, being the door at the same time. So I think the key to understanding this section is the practice of Middle Eastern shepherds, that they would gather their sheep into the sheepfold. I got another picture here for you this morning. Um, they would gather their, their sheep into that fold at night and then themselves would sleep against that doorway. We have that picture. Yeah, you can kind of see the shepherd there in that one opening. Uh, there he is. And he's guarding that door. No one goes in or out uh, except through him. Right. So now you can see that he is both the shepherd and the door. Right. He's also the door in another sense. Uh, I think you could pick it up in my words. Right. Um, that he is the door to eternal life. If we're, if we're looking at metaphors here, looking at what Jesus is illustrating with his words, as he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One doorway. One doorway into the fold. Amen. So he says, all that came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Now, I did a lot of poking around, and I can't find a lot of information about false messiahs that rose before Christ. Um, I, there just 
didn't seem to be a whole lot of info out there. Um, but two of them are actually mentioned in the Bible. And this was after Jesus rose and ascended into heaven. The apostles were out proclaiming him as the Messiah and Lord, and they got arrested and they got put into prison. And at night, an angel opens their cell door and leads them out past the guards. I always thought that was kind of neat how he would do that. And the guards, whether they were struck asleep or, or struck temporarily blinded or whatever, um, wasn't the first time that that had happened in Scripture. So they lead them out and they go back into the temple and they start preaching Jesus again. So then they're taken once again. They're brought before the high priest and the council. And, and the council says this, says, we gave you strict orders not to preach in this name. Notice they, they wouldn't even say the name of Jesus, right? Um, this name. But you're doing it anyway. And the apostles said this. They said, hey, we have to obey God rather than men. And go figure, they got mad at him. Hmm. And they wanted to put these guys to death. But one Pharisee was a pretty smart guy. Um, he was named Gamaliel, or Gamaliel, as a lot of people say. Um, and he said this in Acts chapter 5, uh, verse 36. He says, for before these days, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. And he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. You kind of get the idea that these men uh, rose up, and they did so as a lot of their contemporaries were expecting Messiah to rise up, uh, talking about overthrowing the oppression of Rome and restoring Israel to its former glory. Um, and they did get a bunch of people to follow them, right? They got people stirred up for the cause. But Jesus said this. He said that the true sheep didn't listen to them. The true sheep, those who had learned to discern the voice of God through their knowledge of the scriptures, uh, through their personal relationship with the Lord. They did not recognize these voices. They didn't get all caught up with the emotional uh, aspect of it. No matter what promises these guys made, uh, and again, getting everybody all stirred up, the, the true sheep, Jesus said, did not follow. So any who would have come before Jesus, including these two guys, uh, claiming to be the promised Messiah, not being him, obviously. So he says any who came before were thieves and robbers. What were they trying to do? They were trying to steal God's sheep for themselves, right? They were trying to steal the glory that belonged to Jesus alone, weren't they? Thieves and robbers. And then he says this in verse 9. He says, I am the door. I am the door. Again, he's the way, the truth, the life, the only way to salvation, the only way into God's sheepfold. If anyone enters by me, Jesus said, he will be saved. That is, when you and I believe in Jesus Christ, 
when we receive him personally as our Lord and Savior, we enter God's sheepfold through that one and only door, and we are saved, saved from our sin, saved from separation from God for eternity, right? We're saved. And then he says this, they will go in and out and find pasture. Now, there's two ways I think we can look at this. First of all, uh, they, they go in, right, and out. The sheep would be led into that sheepfold at night, right, where it was safe. And then they would be led out in the morning where the shepherd would take them to, um, you know, to find uh, food and, and uh, that kind of thing. Um, but always under his care, right? He's there with them, protecting him at night. He's there with them, leading them out uh, in the morning. Day and night, they are in the care under the watchful eye of the shepherd, as are we, aren't we, as his sheep. Day and night, he is with us. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So they go out. And they find pasture, right? The shepherd leads them to the food supply. He's providing for their needs. A promise that likewise, our shepherd will always take care of our needs, won't he? Um, But I think, too, you can also look at this another way. Do you remember when we studied John 4, the encounter of Jesus with the woman at the well? And the disciples had gone out to buy food, right? And Jesus is talking to the woman. And they come back and they say, okay, we've, we've got lunch. We brought lunch. We, you, know, you should have something to eat. And Jesus said, remember, uh, I have food that you know not of. And what was he referring to? He was referring to this work of evangelism that he was involved in. He didn't, wasn't going to take the time to eat. He was, he was doing something. He was acting on the will of the Father and uh, this, this whole, practically this whole village was about to come to faith in Christ because of what he was doing. I don't have time for that food. I have other food, right, um, that I'm involved in. So um, we come, as it were, into the fold. We come into the sheepfold. We come out of the world. We become a part of the fold. We come, become a part of the body of Christ. And then we go out into the world and find that same work of evangelism, right? That work of sharing Christ with other people. We go in where it's safe, We're part of the body, and then we go out into the world and we share Jesus. We go in and out and find pasture. So I think there's a couple of different uh, uh, ways that we can look at that. And then he says this in John 10.10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, we, we tend to, I think, in the church, um, take this verse by itself and apply it to the devil, right? Devil comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. And it certainly does fit him. It certainly does apply to him because from the beginning, he has sought to rule over the human race. Ever since he uh, failed at his coup attempt in heaven, 
right? He got thrown to the earth and he's wanted to rule over the human race, to steal God's sheep from him, to kill them off because he's still at war with God. He still wants to uh, kill and to destroy those who are made in God's image. And so that's his, that's his MO. That's what, uh, that's his purpose to steal, to kill, to destroy, uh, not only to destroy them, but to destroy God's plan for the redemption of humanity. He just wants to throw a wrench into that. So that's definitely, uh, applies to Satan. But in context here, it also re- uh, applies to those who are of that same spirit. Right. Those false messiahs, those false leaders uh, who, who, who come and, and they want to uh, take over the sheep. They want to lead the sheep. They want to be in charge. They want to do this. They want to do that. Um, and those others that rose up that uh, uh, Gamliel was talking about uh, in leading their revolt against Rome, they were willing to sacrifice the lives of innocent people for their own purpose, for their own quest, for their own glory. They want to stir everybody up and, and call them to arms um, against the Roman soldiers. They didn't care who lived and died. I mean, they were hoping that they could, you know, uh, accomplish what they set out to do, but they were willing to put innocent people at risk for something that... Uh, was all for them. And in the end, what happened? People died. Families were broken. Hopes were crushed. The faith of some was shipwrecked, right? Steal, kill, and destroy. Um, Even the current Jewish leaders that uh, Jesus is talking to, the Pharisees, the scribes, um, again, of that same spirit, they were not leading people in uh, in worship and spirit and in truth, as Jesus said, uh, if they were, they would be leading them toward Jesus, wouldn't they? Um, what were they doing? They were gathering disciples for themselves. They had hijacked the worship of God, made it into this legalistic uh, rule-keeping thing, and uh, uh, were, were drawing people to themselves, and they were becoming, as Jesus said, those who who liked their position and, uh, you know, would pray on the street corners to be seen and all this kind of stuff and the greetings in the marketplace, rabbi. And, you know, that again, they were still doing that, uh, that same thing, drawing people away for themselves. So in their rejection of Jesus, what were they doing? They were leading others to reject him. They were leading others to their spiritual doom, weren't they? So again, we see it here. They're stealing, they're killing, they're destroying. Why? For the sake of their own position, for the sake of their own glory, for the sake of themselves. But Jesus said, I came. I came, not for me, not to make a name for myself. I came so the sheep would have life and have it abundantly. Do you see the difference? Whether it's Satan himself, whether it's those of that same spirit that that are, are in it for them. Who was Jesus in it for? 
in his commitment, in his willingness to go to the cross. He did it all for us. He did it all for the sheep so that we would have life and have it abundantly, have it to its fullest degree possible. How? Because Jesus came to reconcile us back to God, didn't he? We were in darkness, we were in sin, we were separated from God, and Jesus took that punishment so that we could get connected back to God again, so that his spirit could live in us, we could have this awesome relationship and and be led in the way of blessing and led in the way of truth and be able to be a blessing to other people and live a life that is that is spiritually productive and, and influencing of other people, maybe even for all of eternity, and be able to have all that and then someday to see him face to face. I mean, abundance, right? That's why Jesus came. Therefore, he says in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You may recall King David when he was just a boy uh, watching his family's flock. He had to defend those sheep at least once from a lion and a bear, didn't he? A good shepherd would put his life on the line for the well-being of his sheep. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Contrast this with verse 12. He said, He says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Again, the hired hand, what's he in it for? He's in it for himself, right? Jesus put his life on the line and he lost it at the cross because we're his. Because we're his. He owns the sheep and he cares for us. It's not just, I thought about this, you know, the the sheep meant a lot to um, the the shepherd's family. They they provided a lot in food and clothing and, and that kind of thing. But I I love when he says they're caring for the sheep. Bible talks about Jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And I know he was looking ahead and seeing the blessing that would come about from us uh, coming to know him, from us coming from darkness and going into light, that joy, um, you know, how, how, how many times your face and my face have lit up when God had done something great in our lives or when we've been able to share Jesus with someone else. Jesus looked ahead and he saw all that. and He said, you know, this is all worth it. This is all worth it. When they see my face, you know, face to face and the incredible joy that they're going to, it's all going to be worth it. Right. So he lays down his life for us. Now, this passage, too, I believe, has great application for pastors. Uh, This is one of those verses that makes me tremble. Um, But really, for anyone 
involved in any type of ministry. Greeters, Sunday school teachers, committee members, anyone that has any kind of role of ministry in the church, especially but not limited to leaders, the question that we all need to ask is, why am I doing this? What am I in this for? What's my motivation? Now, most positions in the church are unpaid, so I can pretty confidently say most people don't do it for the money, (laughs) right? But there are other reasons. Uh, I've told you uh, from the pulpit here that my early years of the ministry, I did a lot to validate myself, to to find value in, um, in in helping other people um, or I don't know, combination of that, of, of the, um, when, when things worked, when things were positive, when I was getting pats on the back, so to speak, or whatever, that validated me as a person because of the insecurities that I was feeling. So ministry was a way to feel good about myself. And I realized after the Lord and I did some, uh, you know, real deep soul searching, that any of those other reasons is going to leave us in the end empty, burned out, right? And um, also, it's um, it's going to fail when the wolf comes, when the hard times come. When the frustrations come, there's always those times in ministry when, you know, you, you plan something and it doesn't work out or, or people don't respond like you thought they were going to. Or there's opposition from here and from here. And, and you know, all of those kind of things happen in ministry settings. It happens all the time. And what what happens in those situations that if it's not about the sheep, then we have a tendency to fall. We have a tendency to run. We have a tendency to get caught up in the frustration and all this kind of stuff, right? Um, But when it's not about us, when it's about them and what's the best I can do for them, then it's rising to the challenge. It's because of the sheep needs that we have to adapt that we have to keep going. What, what, what can I do to help them, right? Like adapting to a pandemic. We could have just thrown up our hands, right? And just said, well, we'll just, everybody will stay home and, and we'll just, you know, hunker down and ride it out, right? But what did we do? We, we had to learn new technology, put things online, right? Zoom and, and uh, Bible studies and, and different things that we're doing online. Um, all the people that are involved in doing two services, right? Between the music and, and Alex and uh, disinfecting the, between the services and all that. Uh, Board of Christian Ed, putting packets together for the kids for Sunday school, uh, doing the Super Bowl thing, right? Um, and everybody wearing masks for the whole service, which is, you know, it's uncomfortable, it's, it's inconvenient. But what are we doing it for? We're embracing the difficulty, we're embracing the inconvenience. Why? All for the physical and spiritual well-being 
of the sheep, of the body of Christ, of each other, trusting ultimately in our shepherd to give us what we need to care for his flock. That is the motivation for ministry. And the the wonderful thing about it is, is that when we do come through that door into the sheepfold, the spirit of the good shepherd comes to live in us. And when we yield to him, he leads us in that way. When we yield to him, he empowers us likewise to be good shepherds. It's not our strength. It's his strength leading us through, again, the difficult times and saying, okay, this is hard. This isn't what you expected, but keep your eyes on the sheep. That's him working in us. Amen? In a word, it's love. It's love. Speaking of his life, Jesus says in verse 18, he says this, that he lays down his life for the sheep. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. That's what real love is, isn't it? Freely given. Freely given. Voluntary. No force, no external pressure. Love comes from the heart. Love is sacrificial. Love is about them, not about me. And he does it not just to become our shepherd in, in, a, in, a, in a single experience sense, you know, that, uh, okay, now, now we're saved, now he's our shepherd, and, and that's what it was all about. No, that, so he could actively continue to watch over us and to provide for us and lead us into caring for others. The good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. But then that continual relationship as he keeps us safe, as he leads us out into the world to find pasture, to care for others, to strengthen us, to empower us with that same shepherd's heart to love others. He is the good shepherd. Amen? Well, let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for helping us find the door to the sheepfold. Thank you, Lord, for laying down your life for our good. Thank you for that example to us. But thank you, Lord, for not abandoning us to ourselves, but coming to live inside of us. That we might be who you are. That we might be Christians. That we might be little Christ. That we might be good shepherds to our families and to uh, those that we minister to and those, Lord, in the workplace and wherever you give us opportunity to live uh, godly before people and to walk in kindness and love toward them. 
And remind us, Lord, when it's difficult, what we're doing it all for, that we might walk in love. And that someday, Lord, someday we know it's all going to be worth it. Thank you for loving us. And we praise you and give you the glory. Our good shepherd, in your awesome name we pray. Amen.